Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Random Randy. Thanks for tuning in to Red Thread Podcast. So uh, on this episode, we're going to look into something I came across after looking at H.G. Uh, Wells, the war, uh, the war in the air. Uh, yesterday, I stumbled across a book that's incredibly interesting, and it's by John Jacob Astor. It's called A Journey in Other Worlds. Now, this book is incredibly interesting. It's a fiction listed, listed obviously as a fiction, um, as are most that are written by these, you know, Masonic types, uh, turn of the century. Okay, John Jacob Astor the fourth was an American business magnate, real estate developer, investor, writer, and lieutenant colonel in the Spanish-American War. Um, he's of the Astor family. Now, this uh, gentleman died in the sinking of the Titanic, okay, uh, in 1912. So very interesting. He was the richest passenger aboard the Titanic. Um, you know, there's a lot behind why certain people made it onto this ship and why others didn't, okay? Um, basically, you know, after looking at the war in the air, seeing the description of the devastation of, you know, of the world essentially by airship, um, and all of these things, uh, you know, my main question going into all of this is what has happened that we're not being told about? What is history really? You know, what's what is the we know what the, the end result of the story that is history is. And that is our current time, the current control structure. Right now, something to note is John Jacob Astor. This would be like his great grandfather, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so the first. OK, he was um, an opium smuggler. Uh, fur trader. Uh, so, you know, this guy made a killing off of the, the backs of other people's misery. So the first multimillionaire in the United States, um, born in Germany, immigrated to England as a teenager, moved to the United States after the Re Revolutionary War, um, just built a huge monopoly on the fur trade. So it was just raking it in, right? Uh, raking in the dough uh, on the the backs of, you know, death <laughs> on the tail end of death, whether it be animals or other folks, other people. Okay. So very interesting that this is the lineage that we're looking at. Okay. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, man, it's just, it's mind blowing. Some of the stuff that we're going to dig into when it comes to this book, a journey in other worlds. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that not only are we predictive programmed through books like these, like this one gets into space, um, but it's a very, very interesting way that they approach space. Um, and we will come to see that here shortly. Uh, well, maybe, maybe longly, really, because this is a, you know, extensive book. I've read through a vast majority of it, and there's a lot of information in here that really speaks to me. And uh, I think it'll speak to you, too. So, you know, I want to point out that you can... Uh, you can go to gutenberg.org and uh, you can find this. Now, I will leave a link for everybody. Okay. It's an ebook available for anybody. I recommend reading it and, you know, keep an open mind, keep an open mind on everything here. Okay. Um, a lot of what's portrayed here is uh, suggested that this is a romance of the future or a fiction. Okay. Now, 
it's just incredible. Some of the stuff that, uh, you know, he's breaking down here, um, the description of the planets. Keep in mind uh, that this was written in uh, the late 1890s. <laughs> okay, so this is before Carl Sagan. This is before, you know, the space, uh, you know, scientific community that we have now. This is kind of the lead into that. All right. You start priming people with uh, these concepts and these ideas, right? Predictive programming is what it's called. Now, very interesting stuff. Um, it's a very long book. Now, so we'll just, uh, we'll just dive right into it and, uh, and I'll pop back over, you know, on some of the Titanic and, and uh, other things a, a little later on. But I want to get into this um, because it's very weird. Right. Um, you start to go through here and some things start to stand out. Um, mainly the mathematics for the tilts of the planets are, you know, all included in here. Um, a lot of the numeric significance is embedded within this book. And uh, I find that very interesting considering this is, you know, um, like in the 1890s. So, you know, we have the uh, heliocentric type mathematics being laid out for people um, and so on and so forth. Now, again, I re highly recommend going and take a look at this if it's something that interests you, uh, you know, wondering what has possibly happened in the past, how they set up the current uh, control paradigm and so on. So uh, digging in here, uh, he goes further to say, uh, Professor Cortland's historical sketch of the world in AD 2000. Okay, so this is a projection of the future from what they're saying here. Now, a lot of this stuff rings true for today, and, and it would, right? We're after the year 2000, um, but it really brings a lot of questions to the timeline uh, to mind. You know, what was really going on? Were we further along than horse and buggy, uh, you know, very basic technology in the turn of what we know, uh, you know, a turn of the century around 1900, even all the way back as far as 1800. Okay, so this um, John Jacob Astor IV, okay, uh, was the uh, youngest of five children. He's uh, the great grandson, like I was saying, of John Jacob Astor. And um, he belonged to uh, several groups okay so we might as well just get this out out of the gate here uh, he brought belonged to several groups one being the society of colonial wars a hereditary society composed of men who trace their descendants from forebears who military naval or civil positions of high trust and responsibility blah 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 uh, in the establishment defense and preservation of mainland america okay um also military order of foreign wars that's an interesting one. Why don't we go tend and take a look at this medal? Very interesting stuff. Military. Oh, let's let's please not. Let's. Uh, I guess Wikipedia is asking for money. Of course, right? They need it too. Anyway, oldest veterans hereditary association in the nation with a membership that includes officers and their hereditary descendants from all the armed services. Very interesting stuff. We have a very uh, similar symbol to uh you know the the german eagle or the uh we'll just call it the roman eagle 
right? Very interesting that that's their insignia. Okay, so this is a shadow entity, guys, that's kind of laying in the background throughout all of this madness and mayhem. Okay, so this order was founded on December 13th, 1894. Very interesting. Um, what was before this order is a good question. Um, the Society of Colonial Wars, most likely. Well, that's interesting too. Founded in New York in 1892 as original as a state society. Wikipedia asking for money. No, I'm sorry. I don't really buy into your mainstream uh, rhetoric. It is useful from time to time. Um, they're telling me that's not a paywall, but they're still blocking me. Funny thing is, is none of that stuff popped up before I started recording. So, you know, maybe Zoom's listening in, but more power to them, right? They have to uh, <laughs> line up the world for the, for the future that they're trying to build. So they need that money. Anyway, um, very interesting that these societies are, are created right around the 1890s. That would have been, you know, post-war in the air era. Okay, so that being said, he served in the military, the Society of the Army of Cuba. Hmm, very weird. Uh, to conserve the memory of the events on the campaign, which resulted in surrender of the Spanish army. Okay, so very interesting stuff. One thing I'll point out about John Jacob Astor the first is that this was a Masonic individual, as are you know many many of these uh turn of the century writers okay so very interesting stuff and he's in the right place at the right time to capitalize on the fur trade opens his own good shop and uh in the late 1780s um and served as a new york agent of his uncle's musical instrument business very interesting stuff. Uh, you know, I encourage you to go take a look at the, the Astor family. Uh, very, very interesting who they're tied into. Astor belonged to the Freemasons, okay? Served as a grand treasurer for the Lodge of New York. So he's relatively high up there. President of the German Society of the City of New York. Let's take a look at that, okay? Keep in mind, uh, when we're looking at German, you know, Germanic backgrounds, uh, there's a strong tie to Roman, okay? The, the Gauls were also known as, you know, Germanic, a Germanic tribe. So there's all these different names everywhere for essentially the same thing. An organization of, you know, Caucasian or, or we'll say Germanic peoples um, that are, you know, manipulating or controlling the events uh, to create their, their specified future, okay? So in doing that, they are, uh, you know, his great grandson. Then, let's see, uh, was was on the Titanic, like I was saying. Um, supposedly, you know, they didn't allow him on the life raft because he wasn't a woman or child. So his wife had to just watch, you know, <laughs> her husband uh, drown or you know fall away. This I think this is where the part of the story for the Titanic movie that we're all familiar with kind of come from, you know, they had to let, she had to let him drown just like Jack, just like Jack in the end of that movie. Right. So, um, yeah, very interesting stuff. 333 bodies were recovered. Okay. 
so it just reeks of masonic influence and um just it's unbelievable stuff uh there's uh, the state on fifth avenue in manhattan um incredible stuff incredible stuff so what is it that he's writing or getting at in this book this book is a fictional account of life in the year 2000 okay fictional i don't know about that and we'll get into why it contains abundant speculation about technological invention including descriptions of a worldwide telephone network solar power air travel space travel to the planets saturn and jupiter and terraforming engineering products damming the Arctic Ocean, and an adjustment to the axial tilt of Earth, or Terra, by the Terrestrial Axis Straightening, Straightening Company. Very interesting. We have the Axis powers in World War I. And, uh, you know, is there some kind of link to that? Possibly. Now, the future United States is a multi-continental superpower. European nations have been taken over by socialist governments, which have sold most of their African colonies to the U.S., while Canada, Mexico, and the countries of South America have requested annexation. Space travel is achieved through Apergy, an anti-gravitational energy force. Okay. Let's take a look at Apergy, also known. Oh, well. Interesting. Okay. As non-gravitational field. Hmm. Very interesting stuff, guys. Is a hypothetical phenomenon of creating a place or object that is free from the force of gravity. Does not refer to the lack of weight uh, under gravity or to balancing the force of gravity with some other force, such as electromagnetism or aerodynamic lift. I love how they put that in here. It has nothing to do with electromagnetism. They try to point out but that's quite the contrary. Now, in this book, it, it goes in details some reasons why you might think that uh, that's not the case. Um, of course, it is contained within a fiction, you know, sleeve. So you're not to take it seriously. All right. Um, examples, of course, H.G. Wells, the first men in the moon. Interesting. Um, James Blish's Cities in Flight. Now, Apparently, he's the Star Trek novelization person, so we might have to look into that a little bit later. Now, um, they fly through the air by moving air with electromagnetic fields. See, so they, they, con they contradict themselves right there, okay? So you see how this might work, okay? Very interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just fiction, guys, okay? Um, <laughs> and they 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 go on to say uh <laughs> uh we're gonna have to get into the year 1666 because it's wild guys um but apparently isaac newton apple falls in his head in 1666 uh, the same year of several cataclysms and just a major shifting of timelines so very weird stuff um, they're basically saying, oh, the only way anti-gravity is going to work is through, you know, use of re general relativity and so on. When if you start looking into, you know, the electric universe kind of side of things, it begins to appear much more simple than that. You know, much easier to just counteract the electromagnetic attraction that, that creates, you know, density and all these things 
Um, but that's a huge rabbit hole <laughs> another time, guys. Um, anyway, John Jacob Astor the fourth. Okay. Um, this man, it's such a wild book. I'm I'm having a hard time even really knowing where to start on this. It's absolutely mind blowing. And of course, there's a very limited overview. Now, if you were to pull something up like Lord of the Rings or anything else, the overview is pages long. They'll give you the entire plot line and everything. Okay. Now, Jupiter proves to be a jungle world with flesh eating plants, vampire bats, giant snakes, and mastodons and flying lizards. The Americans discover a wealth of exploitable resources iron, silver, lead, gold, copper, coal, etc. Saturn, in contrast, is an ancient world of silent spirits. These beings provide the explorers with foresight of their own deaths. One of the spirits, a deceased bishop, tells the voyagers about the icy world Cassandra which orbits the sun beyond Neptune and is home to the souls of unworthy earthlings. So they, you know, they're kind of talking about hell. Um, and it's interesting because in this, you know, aspect, it's an icy world, not a hot burning place. So, you know, there's a lot of flipping things on their head with these folks. Um, like I said, them being Masonic and so on, you can learn to kind of understand the direction that they're going to take you know, pointing this stuff out. But um, so it's it's incredible. This is the guy that died on the Titanic. Okay. And um, there's a reason that he passed away. He was sliding truths out to people in his writings. Now, this particular book, it's it's it bounces all around. It's really strange. When they talk about going to space, they talk about uh, getting into a capsule that uh is encased in blue glass, which I find very interesting. There's something to do with blue glass. I mean, uh, is it allowing them to see into a different dimension? Is the capsule similar to the elevator in Willy Wonka? <laughs> it, it looks a lot like that. It really does. So um, moving on. Now, let's go ahead and break down. This is, this is where it gets really interesting, and this is why I wanted to point this out. Okay. Um, the period AD 2000 is by far the most wonderful the world has yet seen. The advance in scientific knowledge and attainment within the memory of the present generation has been so stupendous that it completely overshadows all that has preceded. All times in history and all periods of the world have been remarkable for some distinctive or characteristic trait. The feature of the period of Louis Fourteenth was the splendor of the court and the centralization of power in Paris. The year 1789 marked the decline of the power of courts and the evolution of government by the people. So, by the spread of Republican ideas and the great advance in science, education has become universal for women as well as for men. And this is more than ever a mechanical age. With increased knowledge, we are constantly coming to realize how little of things we really know and are also continually finding manifestations of forces that at first seem like exceptions to established laws. This is, of course, brought about by the modifying influence of some other natural law, though many of these have not yet been discovered. Electricity in its varied forms does all the work, having superseded animal and manual labor in everything, and man has only to direct. The greatest ingenuity next to finding new uses for the almost omnipotent fluid has been displayed in inducting, inducing the forces of nature and even the sun to produce it. So they're, they're talking about pulling electricity, uh, you know, from nature. 
But before, before describing the features of this perfection of civilization, let us review the steps by which society and the political world reached their present state. At the close of the Franco-Prussian War in 1871, continental Europe entered upon the condition of an armed camp, which lasted for nearly a half a century. The primary cause of this was the mutual dislike and jealousy of France and Germany, each of which strove to have the larger and better equipped national defense than the other. There are also many other causes as the ambition of the Russian Tsar, supported by his country's vast, though imperfectly developed resources and practically unlimited supply of them. One phase of which was the constant ferment in the Balkan Peninsula and other Russia's schemes for extension in Asia. Another was the general desire for colonies in Africa, in which the continental power pretty effectually blocked under or blocked another, and the latent distrust inside the Triple Alliance. Hmm. England, meanwhile, preserved a wise and profitable neutrality. Very interesting stuff. Uh, these tremendous sacrifices for armaments, both on land and water, had far-reaching results. As we see it now, were clouds with silver linings. The, the demand for hardened steel projectiles, nickel steel plates, and light and almost unbreakable machinery was a great incentive to improvement in metallurgy, while the necessity for compact and safely carried ammunition greatly stimulated chemical research. Now, there, it's not far from the truth there. War does stimulate, you know... Uh, people to use their minds and figure out how to you know, best the opponent. Now, this led to the discovery of explosives whose powers no obstacle can resist, and incidentally, to other more useful things. Further mechanical and scientific process progress, however, such as flying machines provided with these high explosives and asphyxiating bombs containing compressed gas that could be fired from guns or dropped from the air intervened. The former would have laid every city in the dust, and the latter might have almost exterminated the race. These discoveries providentially prevented hostilities. Did they, though? That's, that's what I wonder. Now, so that the Great War, in quotes, so long expected never came. Okay? I think this is where it's fiction, guys. <laughs> what we see with the destruction all around the world is very... To me, it's very clear evidence of the Great War, not the world wars that we know about, but the Great War, okay? And the rival nations had their plans for nothing or rather for others than themselves. <clears throat> okay, so uh, it, it goes on to, to say that uh, hundreds of thousands in continental Europe were killed by overwork and short rations. And millions of desirable and often, unfortunately for us, undesirable people were driven to immigration. Okay. This sounds very familiar, very reminiscent of what we know about World War II. Okay. Nearly all of whom came to English-speaking territory, greatly increasing our productiveness and power. As we have seen, the jealousy of the continental powers for one another effectually prevented their extending their influence to protectorates to other countries which jealousy was considered aided by the small but destructive wars that did take place. And these would be the small wars that we know about. Okay. But was there a larger structure to these wars? 
definitely seems that way. Now, high taxes also made it more difficult for the moneyed men to invest in colonizing or development companies, which so often are the forerunners of absorption, while the United States, with her coal, of which the Mediterranean states had scarcely any other resources and low taxes, which, though necessary, can be nothing but an evil, has been able to expand naturally as no other nation has before. This has given English speakers, especially in the United States, a free hand, rendering enforcement of the Monroe Doctrine easy and started English a long way towards becoming the universal language, while all formerly unoccupied land is now owned by those speaking it. Now, it goes on to speak about at the close of the Civil War, 1865, certain population number, 3 million or 3 million square miles, population of 34,000, um, a debt over 4 billion. Uh, so had an expensive and essentially perishable Navy, ominous feeling between the sections, purchase of Alaska, 1867, adding a half a million square miles to the territory. Uh, marked the resumption of the Ford March of the United States. 25 years later, at the presidential campaign of 1892, the debt had been reduced to 900 million. So it goes on to explain certain numbers of population, which, you know, if you know anything about Masonic literature, these numbers are there for a reason. So gradually, the different states of Canada or provinces came to realize that the future would be grander, more glorious in union with the United States then separated from it. Also, the sympathy for war was stronger than the nearest neighbors than for anyone else. Okay. One by one, these Northern states made known their desire for consolidation with the Union, retaining complete control of their local affairs as have older states. They were gladly welcomed by our government and people and possible rivals became the best of friends. Proceeding and also following, the states of Mexico, Central America, and parts of South America, tiring of the incessant revolutions and difficulties among themselves. Is that what really happened, or were they just overtaken, overrun, laid waste to, put in a position where they had absolutely no choice? So um, they began to ask for annexation, knowing they would retain control of their local affairs, very much like we see all around the world today. So it's just, it's interesting that they're detailing the political side of how things uh, would possibly have worked in this future that they speak of. Keep in mind, this is written right around the time all of this stuff may or may not have been happening. <clears throat> so um, goes further into, you know, the financial issues that are, that are involved uh, with why these uh, states would have liked to you know be annexed now it's really weird how he goes on to say the name jaffet means enlargement okay and if you know about the name jaffet uh it's often you know attributed to uh european the european son of noah basically okay so and the prophecy seems to be literally fulfilled by these his descendants and these were the ones that were told to be fruitful and multiply and you know, manifest destiny and all that stuff. So English speakers together possess nearly half the globe. Incredible. Causes checkmated the continental powers to have ceased to exist. 
Now, incredible stuff. Okay. Manhattan Island at this this point, right? Two million inhabitants plus, surrounded by a belt of population several miles wide of 12 million more. Uh, the entire city contains 14,000, 14,500,000 souls. No main avenue in the newer section is less than 200 feet wide. Speaking of the avenues in the city, okay? Now, here's the thing. New York are, is united by numerous bridges, tunnels, and electric ferries, while the city's great natural advantages have been enhanced and beautified by every ingenious device. No main avenue in the newer sections is less than 200 feet wide containing shade and fruit trees, a bridle path, broad sidewalks, and open spaces for carriages and bicycles. Several fine diagonal streets and breathing squares have also been provided in the older sections, and the existing parks have been supplemented by intermediate ones, all being connected by parkways to form continuous chains. So is that, you know, what New York was like prior to uh, you know, all of this devastation, are they giving us a throwback of the past? Now it gets more interesting. We start digging into some technology stuff here. And uh, I find this incredibly intriguing. The hollow masts of our ships to glance at another phase and passant carry windmills instead of sails through which the wind performs the work of storing a great part of the energy required to run them at sea. <clears throat> While they are discharging or loading cargo in port, and it can, of course, work to better advantage while they are stationary than while they are running before it. These turbines are made entirely of light metal and fold when not in use so that only the frames are visible. Sometimes these also fold and are housed or wholly disappear within the mast. Steam boilers are also placed at the, at the focal point of huge concave nears and the foci, <laughs> often 100 feet in diameter. The required heat being supplied by the sun without smoke instead of by bulky and dirty coal. The discovery gave commercial value to Sahara and other tropical deserts, which are now desirable for mill sites and for generating power. And for generating power, okay? On account with the directness of which they received the sun's rays and their freedom from clouds, mile after mile of Africa has been won for the uses of civilization till great stretches that were considered impassable are as productive as gardens. Is this why we see the devastation of Africa creating the Sahara, where there were subtropical deserts before, not massive wastelands? Okay. We see evidence of, you know, channels all around the world and things like this. So our condensers, which compress cool, and rarefy air enable travelers to obtain water and even ice from the atmosphere. They are great aids in desert exploration, removing absolutely the principal distress of the ancient caravan. <clears throat> the erstwhile dark continent, in quotes, has a larger white population now than North America had 100 years ago and has this advantage for the future and contains 11,600,000 square miles, while North America has less than 9 million. What dark continent? That's the question, right? Is the dark continent the north? Or are they talking about the south? Are they talking about Antarctica? Every part of the globe will soon sustain about as large and prosperous a population as the amount of energy it receives from the sun. And other sources will warrant public debts and the efficiency of the governments being the variable elements. Now it goes on to say, 
that, uh, you know, there was a rabbit problem in Australia, whether that's slang for peoples or not, who knows, right? Uh, and poisonous snakes in South America. I find that very interesting uh, because we have those serpent cultures in South America, even in India, right? So whether they're talking about, it's very interesting, have been exterminated by the capture of a few dozen of these creatures in the infested districts. Their inoculation with the virus, similar to the Murus typhi, tuberculosis, or any other contagion germ compliant to which the species treated was particularly susceptible, and the release of these individuals when the disease was seen to be taking hold, the rabbits and serpents released at once returned to their old haunts, carrying the plague far and wide. So some of these suggestions, guys, are just mind-blowing. Are they saying that they went and purposefully you know, and interjected, you know, disease into populations. Now they, they outline that this is for animal populations, right? But you got to, at some point, read between the lines. We know about the bubonic plague. At least we know what we're told. So the rabbit and serpents released at once returned to their old haunts. Like I said, now the unfortunate rabbits were greatly commiserated, even by the medicos that wielded the death dealing syringe. But fortunately for themselves, they died easily. The reptiles, perhaps on account of wider distribution of the nerve centers, had more lingering but now painful deaths, often while in articula mortis, leaving the holes. So they jump out of their, their, their holes, running around, struggling on the ground, uh, and then die. <laughs> so they have applied this also to potato bugs, locusts, and other insect pests. I did not know that they have viruses that can affect insects like that or are they just talking about chemicals what's going on here this is interesting no victim being too small for the ubiquitous subtle germ which properly cultivated and utilized has become one of man's best friends very interesting stuff. They have microbe tests that show unmistakably whether the germs of any particular disease like malaria, typhoid, or scarlet fever are present in the air. In the air. And uh, we have these tests now, guys. So, And of course, they uh, inoculate as a preventative against. So is this what happened to the population of the world? Uh, furthermore, is this going to get pulled off of Spotify because I'm talking about this? Keep in mind, this is a book and it's fiction and, uh, you know, allegedly blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so it, it goes on and on, uh, you know, talking about this physician um, restricting his diet. Now, there was there was some. Oh, man. It, it goes on and on. I mean, this is a massive rabbit hole and I cannot encourage enough to uh to look into this because it goes on and talks about um the electrical energy and thunderstorms being captured okay it goes on to speak about the them pulling water out of the air okay pulling water out of the air the windmill and dynamo creating electricity. Keep in mind, this is written in the late 1890s, guys. <laughs> of course, it's, you know, a look at the future. 
but I really, really firmly believe that this stuff happened and had an input to it. Okay. Um, these electricity generated in connection with that by waterfalls, tidal diamond dynamos, thunderstorms, <clears throat> chemical action, and slow moving quadruple quadruple expansion steam engines. So they're they're talking like uh, you know, this is reprocessing the steam back and forth and back and forth, providing the power required to run our electric ships and water spiders. Now, water spiders, uh, they go on to talk about a little bit later on as um, we'll call like a hydrofoil, something to that effect, railways and stationary and portable motors for heating the cables laid along the bottom of our canals to prevent their freezing in the winter. Hmm. So that's how they kept the water flowing in the canals in the northern areas. Very interesting stuff. So some stuff is uh, divulged for us here if we have the eyes to see it. Now, windmill on, a man has a windmill on his roof for light and heat. Then the harder the wintry blast may blow, the brighter and warmer becomes the house. So you want to know how they heated, how they gained power, some of which would have been windmills. Now we look at some silly, you know, <laughs> things today like weather vanes, right? With the little windmill up there. If you had that, we're able to harness a certain amount of energy and get a, a device going that would start spinning and was magnetically inclined to do so, it would continue to spin. So you only need that initial push of energy, right? There's uh, some information I'll have to throw you guys on free energy devices. It's like a 2000 page PDF I came across. Um, you know, the improbable dreamer on Instagram has posted it and uh, shout out to him. Uh, it's also on stolen history, but you know, so they're, they're telling you how certain problems are to be solved and their words are to be solved, not have been solved, but I definitely think it has is the have been solved. Okay. The operation of our ordinary electric railways is very simple. The current is taken from an overhead side or underneath wire directly through the air without the in intervention of a trolley and the fast cars for they are no longer running trains make five miles a minute. <laughs> the entire weight of the car being used for its own traction. It can ascend very steep grades and can attain high speed or stop very quickly. Now they go on to further detail magnetic railways. Okay, much like the ones we were told are underground, shooting between from coast to coast, um, tells how they work. Magnetics charge oppositely, being turned on, turned off in succession, and um, incredibly, incredible. You know, the ails or the rails uh, aid communication, so they're able to communicate and gain power through the rails. Okay, M magnetism being practically as instantaneous as gravitation. Huh. The only limitations to speed are electrical pressure at the magnets and the resistance of the air. So they hermetically seal through partial vacuum in a steel and toughened glass tube, while the third has been removed indefinitely by the use of galvanized aluminum. So they're talking about galvanized aluminum back in 1890. What we're told is, you know, the area, the era of new steel, steel, right? So keep in mind, like, this fiction, just if you flip it on its head and go, maybe it's fact, it just decimates the narrative, just destroys it, right? 
So incredible stuff, right? Incredible stuff, guys. So uh, they talk about how, how the rails are laid and a concrete roadbed, uh, you know, making the spreading of the ballast, you know, impossible, meaning it won't settle. It'll, it'll stay still. Okay. Um, so that's some of the technology that's pointed out right in the very beginning of this book, right in the very beginning of this book, incredible stuff. They go on to talk about, you know, uh, how much it cost a lot of money for all these improvements. Uh, the el elimination of curves being the most laborious part requiring bridges, cuttings, and embankments that dwarf the pyramids and would have made the ancient pharaohs open their eyes. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to get into some marine transportation stuff. One for freight, another for passengers. One is a deeply immersed ship. Uh, let's see. It goes on to say, well, electricity has superseded all other motive powers. <clears throat> Steamers gradually pass through the 500, 600, and 700 foot long class with other dimensions in proportion till their length exceeded 1,000 feet. These were very fast ships crossing the Atlantic in four and a half days. Almost as steady as houses, even in the roughest weather. It's very similar to the tankers we have now, the container ships we have now. So massive, they're unaffected by weather. So this is 1897, guys, when we're told, you know, just 30 years before was the end of the Civil War. And all they had was like iron sides, maybe a couple monitors. <laughs> so, you know, did, did John Jacob Astor IV completely just decide and invent these concepts? That's what they would have us believe. That this science fiction then led to the understanding uh, of science fact later. It's the other way around, guys. I don't, I don't know how, uh, I don't know how I was unable to see this for so much of my life. You know, um, granted, I was in the throes of, of uh, the the state induced misery that that is, you know, our our current system. Um, but I, you know, and that's why I hope that these these videos and this insight can, even if it's one person, man, if it's one person that that can look at this and go, wait a minute, that's fishy, right? And it's not just one book or two books. It is almost every single Masonically published manuscript or novel or fairy tale like ever written has not only grains of truth, but I mean, this is all right up front. So uh, very fast ships crossing in four and a half days. So that's, that's fast, guys. It's really fast. From twin to triple to quadruple screw. Um, plates composed of lead or iron constantly increasing. So they're, they're talking about batteries being laid into the engine or laid into the uh, ships. Okay. Um, incredible stuff. Now uh, we have the, during the second decade in the 20th century, so we're talking 1920, roughly. And so he's planning it out here. This is what's going to happen. And you're going to deal with it. <laughs> um, electricity generated for the engines and driving the others while the ships are in port. That's like diesel electric uh, engines. 
They use those for U-boats, for example, so that they could run electric under water and uh, diesel on the surface. So also gave them the ability to use less coal, carrying less means, you know, smaller uh, displacement, okay? The construction of such huge vessels called for much governmental river and harbor dredging. That's another, you know, rabbit hole that, that comes up very interesting. You start looking at the building of harbors, especially in the U.S. So saying a ship drawing 35 feet can now enter New York at the state of any tide, any state of the tide. Okay. <clears throat> now, though a jet of water from force pumps directed against the obstruction is also often employed with quick results. They're speaking about sandbars. Hmm. Okay. You want to know how they moved all this stuff? Hydraulic, essentially hydraulic mining. For river work, we have discovered a better method. All the mud is run back through a pipe, sometimes over a mile from the riverbank. Or is it used as a fertilizer? So as they were creating these harbors, they did a dual purpose thing. Or these, these river inlets, they would pull that muck through a pipe, through a tube, through a hose, and spray it wherever they needed to. Is this where all the mud came from? It could be, guys. It really, really could be. You know, um, especially if you have laid waste to significant areas and you have uh, the need for fertilization of these areas you just bombed out and made completely uninhabitable or unlivable or destroyed, you know, the mineral composition of the soil and everything else that would happen through firebombing and, and so on. So incredible stuff. Okay. The next improvement in sea traveling was the marine spider built on the principle of an insect, okay? It's known that a body can be carried over water much faster than through it. So this is using like friction, uh, you know, to sit on top of the water, much like a water strider, okay? Very interesting stuff because we do have some things that resemble this now. Uh, you can look at a catamaran, for example. Uh, it sits high up out of the water because it has two pontoons, right? So that's kind of a, gives you an idea of where I'm going with this. Like a water strider, this would sit on top. Now, the, is that the same as, uh, as a hydrofoil? I, I think so. <clears throat> oh, incredible stuff, guys. Incredible stuff. They were more like centipedes with large bell-shaped feet connected with the superstructural deck by ankle-jointed pipes through which air pressure was forced down upon the enclosed surface of the water. So they are talking about uh, fan boats or, you know, hydrofoils. I, I'm dropping the ball on the name there. Hovercraft. There we go. <laughs> Hovercraft, guys. Large bell-shaped feet. Pumping air out. Floating on a surface of air. Incredible. Incredible. They also swing along like a pacing horse. That's wild. So this, we haven't seen come to fruition, okay? But it may have existed in the past. Some passengers still, and express packages, still cross on spiders, but the light cargoes uh, go in deep displacement vessels for heavy freight. 
running largely on wind supplied electricity supplied by wind and by the tide turning their motors which become dynamos while at anchor in any stream so man keep in mind uh that if you're out at sea there's generally a current beneath you so you drop anchor and drop something else down into the water that's going to spin a motor and you can recharge okay they can recharge as they're moving because they're creating the water flow therefore no need for bulky boilers engines and sails or coal bunkers okay so this is all stuff that would have to be done away with when the petrol power structure came about when the fossil fuel industry came about after the great war when the robber barons took everything or <laughs> finalized their deal and uh, we're done taking everything okay incredible stuff guys um and i mean this just goes on and on talking about uh the breakwaters required to build this uh, using incredible metal affects the deeply driven metallic piles. Uh, there's evidence of very similar situations going on all around the world and start re realizing that there's this ancient harbor, you know, in Rome, for example. I mean, but they know right where to not dig. And this is why UNESCO comes in and says, oh, this is a World Heritage Site. You're no longer allowed to look into what's underneath here. Incredible stuff. Uh, the rocks have been removed from the channels about New York and other centers, while shallow places have been dredged to uniform depth. Depth, canals in Nicaragua, Erie and Champlain Canal. I mean, it's incredible, you guys. For flying, we have an aeroplane that came in when we devised a suitable motor power. Okay. Now he goes on further to talk about this uh, heavier than aircraft being, you know, created in 1903. Keep in mind, this is written in 1890s. So there's your predictive programming kind of aspect, right? So this contain this obtained from very light paper cell batteries that combine some qualities of the primary and secondary type since they must first be charged from a dynamo, after which they can supply full currents for 100 hours, enough to take them around the globe. So I ask again, is this guy just considering this stuff, just brainstorming and coming up with all of this stuff that has taken the last 200 years almost for us to be introduced to? Or do they actually know something? I mean, after a while, coincidence flies right out the window, <laughs> right out the window. And uh, so they're entirely on the principle of birds maintaining themselves mechanically and differing thus from unwieldy balloons. Starting as if on a circular, so he goes on to talk about uh, dirigibles and airships um, that through ballast, they are able to propel themselves through the air. They <clears throat> coast down the aerial slope at a rate that sometimes touches 500 miles an hour. When near the ground, the helmsman directs the prow upward and again, gain, turning on full current rushes up the slope at speed. So they do the up and down like this to flow through the air, much like some submarines do in the ocean. 
So, I mean, this is super intelligent stuff, guys. It's just mind blowing. And uh, man, I, I just, <laughs> I hope I can compel you to come take a look at this book. And it's on uh, gutenberg.org. And apparently they've probably got some other really cool stuff too, or any other Masonic literature that you can find written by these families, these people, H.G. Wells, John Jacob Astor IV. You know, is this book why he was killed? Because he knew too much. These motors are so light, they develop two horsepower for every pound of their weight. Incredible. We probably have recently come to that point. Okay. Wow. I'm just unbelievable. I'm mind blown by this. And I've read through it a little bit once. <clears throat> Here's another thing that I want to uh, point out for you. It goes on to talk about batteries. The best airplane batteries are still combination storage type. <clears throat> These have been perfected that eight ounces of battery yield for one horsepower for six hours. So that two pounds of battery will supply horsepower for 24 hours. A small 50 horsepower airplane being therefore able to fly four days with a battery weight of but 400 pounds. These specifications are a little too on, on the nose, right? A little too on point. Limestone and clarified acid are the principal parts of these batteries. This is incredibly interesting. Looking at Tartaria in the old world, limestone and clarified acid. What do they find in the pyramids? Evidence of sulfuric acid. What are the pyramids made out of? Limestone. Bam. I, what more do you need? Do you, you just need the, fa the fact that there's a stamp that says fiction on this book to dissuade you from seeing that they're telling us what's going on. That's what the pyramids are. They're not producing the electricity. They are batteries holding that. There's about as much imprisoned solar energy in limestone as in coal. But it was only recently that we discovered this way of releasing and using it. Chemical reaction. It's a battery and it's creating power. <laughs> Unbelievable. Common salt plays an important part in many of our chemical reactions. By combining it with limestone and treating this with acid jelly, we also get good results on raising to the boiling point. So if you had a steam apparatus on top, or otherwise pressure, you know, pressure escaping, spinning a dynamo, creating energy. I mean, this is creating and storing energy at the same time, several ways. You want to know where the power came from for all the light bulbs and which all the light bulbs that you see and the exhibitions and things like that, a vast majority of them are like gas light bulbs, much like a fluorescent bulb. Okay. If you know anything about a fluorescent bulb, if you have uh, a discharge of electricity in the area, you can hold the bulb without ever attaching the electrodes and it will light up. So incredible stuff, incredible stuff. However enjoyable the, mainly, the manly sport of yachting is on water, how vastly more interesting and fascinating it is for a man to have a yacht in which he can fly to Europe in one day. Man, I'm telling you, 
<clears throat> Another change that came in with the rush upon the discovery of a battery with insignificant weight, compact form, and great capacity was the substitution of electricity for animal power for the movement of all vehicles. All vehicles. This work of opening up the country far and near by straightening and improving existing roads, laying out new ones. Uh, I mean, unbelievable. They're telling you the process that, you know, the world was built on in the previous era. Every state contained a horde of these borders who, as they formerly worked, interfered with honest labor. What is he talking about? Uh, he's talking about working under the direction of state and government engineers. Largely, the work was done by convicts. <laughs> And uh, <clears throat> so a vast majority of things were, that's why you see, you know, movies where people are in prison and they're breaking rocks. They weren't just breaking rocks, they were building roads. So <laughs> you, want, you want prison planet, guys. You know, we're looking at it, okay? Country roads had been paved by the farmers. Uh, there's a field in which convict labor would not compete and important work could be done. Once this was made law, every year showed improvement while the convicts had useful and helpful occupation. Hmm. Incredible, guys. Incredible. So they're talking about electric phaetons as those are the high speed or called cars, vehicles, two, three, and four wheels. Okay. They can run 35 and 40 miles an hour on country roads and attain a speed over 40 on city streets, can maintain without recharging for several days. Several days. So when you go and buy your $60,000 Tesla and you got to recharge it every two hours, three hours, you really need to consider that this technology was more than likely, most likely <laughs> available back in the late 1800s. What we know is the 1800s. Now he's talking about this time as, it's, as if it's the year 2000s. We're in 2020. And we don't have this stuff available to us. You see why they killed this man. You see that why they sent him out on a ship to sink out in the middle of the ocean. Right? Makes perfect sense to me. You know, at first you look at the sinking of the Titanic. You're like, oh, you know, financially it was a thing. No, there's more to it. There's a lot more to it than this. Okay? To recharge batteries can be done in every town or village. Two copper pins attached to an insulated copper wire are shoved into a smooth board hole. These drop out of themselves by fusing a small lead ribbon owing to the increase in resistance. So all you have is a resistor. Okay. Go look into free energy, guys. Go look into the fact that you hold a naked wire, a wire with a naked tip up in the air, attach a resistor to it, run it around a, a circular magnet, the wire, and then attach another wire to the opposite side of whatever device you're using to a ground and you have power, you have free flowing power. That's what they're saying here. Okay. Owing to the increased resistance. And when the acid in the batteries begins to boil, though there is of course, but little heat in this chemically boiling. Okay. The function of charging being merely to bring about the condition in which the part of the limestone can be consumed. The batteries themselves when in constant use requiring to be renewed about once a month. So they had to replenish the limestone within the battery once a month, replenish a little bit of acid, maybe once a month. 
unbelievable. We're talking about how a vehicle is built here. Light powerful batteries can be fitted on bicycles, have been fitted on bicycles. And uh, it's just unbelievable, guys. On and on and on. Wow. Talking about the size of the streets. So, scarcely a ton of coal comes to Manhattan Island or its vicinity in a year. Very little of it leaves the mines and the mouths of which is converted into electricity and sent to the points of consumption by wire, where it is employed for all uses which fuel was put and many others. Consequently, there's no smoke and the streets are not encumbered with coal carts. The entire width being given up, by up to carriages. The ground floors and the business parks used for large warehouses, trucks running in to load and unload. Pedestrians, therefore, have sidewalks level with the second story. The second story. Okay. That's why it appears on a lot of these buildings that that stairwell going up to that, that first story was actually a door at some point in the past. Okay. You had the pedestrian level that was up above. Only freight was brought through the bottom floor. Consisting of glass floors to let into new aluminum frames while all street crossings are made on bridges. <laughs> Private houses have a front door opening on the sidewalk and another on the ground level so the ladies paying visits or leaving cards can do so in carriages. In business streets, the second story is used for shops. The second story, guys. Not the first. The second. In place of steel covering, country roads have a thick coating of cement and asphalt over a foundation of crushed stone, giving a capital service. And with the width of 33 feet, two rods in thinly settled districts, and 66 feet, four rods, where the population is greater. All are planted with shade and fruit trees. That's something we definitely don't see anymore. Maybe a couple little trees here and there. While the wide driveways have one or two broad sidewalks, same role of making slow moving vehicles keep near the outside prevails. Though the rate of increase in speed on approaching the middle is more rapid than in cities, for there's usually no dividing ridge. Just talking about the layout of what we now know <laughs> as the interstate highway system, guys. Right? It's incredible. And, and I mean, it just goes on and on, on and on. I mean, I don't want to make this an incredibly long video. I, I think that, uh, you know, me reading through this stuff, pointing this out is hopefully enough to get you to want to take a look here. Talking about how, how they obtain metals, how they find metals underground. Let's take a look here. It occurred to the well borer that if he could make his drill hard enough to get it down far enough, keeping it cool by solidified carbonic acid during the proceeding, he would reach a point at which most of the metals would be viscous, if not actually molten. And being freed from the pressure of the crust, they would expand and reach the surface in a stream. This experiment he performed near the hot geysers in Yellowstone Park. And what was his delight on reaching the depth of scarcely a half a mile beyond his usual stopping place? to be rewarded by a stream of metal that heralded its approach by a loud explosion and a great rush of superheated steam. It ran for a month, completely filling the bed of a small dried up river. 
And when it did stop, there were 10 million tons in sight. He proved the feasibility of the scheme and through many subsequent attempts were less successful. So they're not just talking about pulling oil out of the ground, guys. They're talking about molten metal. Incredible. Can now obtain almost any metal we wish. Now, here's an interesting thing. Scarcity is, uh, you know, the, the theme of our world now, right? But it died. You know, and I'm adamant that this is legit. This is what is really going on. This is why they're able to write history so vaguely and just ridiculously because they have told us everything, everything, including where all the metals came from in the ancient or in the old world. Ancient. Now that's going to need a an edit there, right? Now. Magnetic eyes are of great use to miners and civil engineers. The interest, these instruments are something like a, the mariner's compass with the sensitiveness uh, increased by galvanic currents. The eye, as it were, sees the substances that are underground and what, at what distances. I think it's different than what we know as radar. This would be a more magnetic, uh, an MRI of the earth, basically. So it also shows how many people are in the adjoining room. Uh, Maybe may x-ray, right? radar, x-ray, through the, through the magnetic properties of the iron in their blood, whether they are moving and in what directions and at what speed they go. In connection with the phonograph and concealed by draperies, it is useful to detectives who, through a registering attachment, can obtain a record of everything said and done. You don't think that the CIA and whatnot has this, right? And if they do have satellites up above, they can look right through everything. This is why lead paint was outlawed. Not because the kids were eating paint chips. Mind-blowing stuff. Like, I'm blown away by what is included in this book right here. Just unbelievable. Now I'm going to do some work to, to get this out to as many people as I can because it's just insane. Oh, Wow. Our political system remains with but little change. So they're suggesting that this, this what I'm about to read to you, was the, the political system of the old world. Each state has still two United States senators, though the population represented by each representative has been greatly increased. So the Senate has grown numerically much more than the House. It is the duty of each member of Congress to understand the conditions existing in every other member state or district, and the country's interest always precedes that of a party. Not like that anymore. We have a comprehensive examination system in the civil service, and every office holder except members of the cabinet retains his office while efficiently performing his duty without regard to politics. The president can also be reelected any number of times. The cabinet members as formerly, usually remain in office while he does and appear regularly in Congress to defend their measures. Right in a perfect world. <laughs> That's how it would work out. We wouldn't have this every two years, some ridiculous crap because of a re-election cycle. So it would do away with a lot of these issues that we see pop up. The really rapid transit lights in New York are underground and have six tracks. Two being used for freight. And all stations, the local tracks rise several feet towards the street and slope off in both directions. 
while the express tracks do this only at stations at which the faster trains stop. This gives the passengers a shorter distance to descend or rise in the elevators and the ascent before the stations aids the brakes in stopping. While the drops helps the motors to start the trains quickly in getting away. Interesting stuff. Photography. I mean, dude, this guy just lays it out. Boom, 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 boom. No wonder. I, again, I'm going to say it again. No wonder this man got sunk in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. Or did he, right? <laughs> At this point, you know, you don't know. It could just be all part of the thing. He's maybe sitting over there in Atlantis because, uh, you know, if we live on a flat earth, there's missing land, whatever. He's just chilling over there. You know, and uh, was able to put this out to create implied consent. Wonder how many people read this book back in the early 1900s. I'm like, oh, that's neat, but didn't put any more thought into it. Telephones, it, telephones have been so improved. Sorry about that, guys. Telephones have been so improved that one person can speak in his natural voice with another in any part of the globe. The wire then enables him to hear almost showing him the face of the speaker. So they're talking about video phones, photography, video phones, sending of light through, you know, lines, not interfered with by any high tension electric light or other power wires, thunderstorms or anything else. Wow. Rainmaking. Oh man, here we go. More and more on and on. Rainmaking. Uh, is another subject removed from the uncertainties. It has become absolute science. We produce clouds by explosion in the atmosphere's heights and by surface air forced by blowers through large pipes up the side of a mountain or natural elevation, and they're discharged through an opening in the top of a tower built on the highest part. The air reduct is encased in the poor heat conductor so that the air retains its warmth until discharged when it is cooled by the expansion in surrounding cold air. So if this was a thing, guys, if this type of infrastructure was the thing in the mountains. We wouldn't have the desert on the opposite side of the mountains. We wouldn't have it. So those deserts are there by design. They're there because they want them there. Yet, until the Earth's axis is straightened, is it the Earth's axis or is it the wobble uh, of the sun's you know, rotation? Either way, we must be more or less dependent on the eccentricities of the weather with extremes of heat and cold, droughts and floods, uh, floods which are the last, of course, largely the result of several months moisture held in, on the ground in form of snow, the congestion being relieved suddenly by the warm spring rains. <clears throat> so that's kind of contradictory in a weird way, but medicine and surgery have kept pace with other improvements, inoculations, and antiseptics, as already seen, rendering most of the germ diseases and formerly dreaded epidemics impotent. If only, if only, while through the potency of electrical affinity, we form wholesome food products rapidly, while through the potency, and I'm going to say this again, while through the potency of electrical affinity, we form wholesome food products rapidly. Electroculture, guys. Instead of having to wait for their production by nature's slow process. I'm going to have to let that one sink in for a second. They're, they're explaining all problems, basically, 
especially at this point, we are post 2000. These problems should all be solved. They are all solved. These concepts are nothing new. These concepts are 100 years old, at least. 150 years old, almost. But we can't. But we can't figure out, you know. Our ass from our elbows, like what the hell's going on in this world? It's by design, everybody. It's by design. Your misery is by design. Wow. Anyway, the metric system now universal superseded the old fashioned arbitrary standards. So prolific of mistakes and confusion uh, could be avoided. They say that that happened about a century ago. So it would have been about 1900 in this timeline. Wow. English, as we have seen, is already the language of 600 million people, and the numbers were increasing through its adoption by the numerous races of India, where even before the close to the last century, it was about as important as Latin during the greatness of Rome. So is English the new Latin? Very much seems like it, right? Or do we have two conflicting groups here? Do we have what was Rome and is now the Roman Catholic Church, and we have the English establishment are these two essentially still battling it out for the world are they working you know tongue-in-cheek hand-in-hand with each other to keep everybody suppressed and are we reaching a point now where you know the heat is back on and the battle's unfolding again is is this what we are looking at when we look at white hat versus black hat or the two faces of Janus, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. So anyway, let's go, uh, let's move on here. And the fact that the Spanish and Portuguese elements in Metrico, Mexico and Central and South America show cons, cons, constant tendency to die out, much as the population of Spain fell from 30 million to 17 million during the 19th century. As this goes on in the Western Hemisphere, the places left vacant are gradually filled by the more progressive Anglo-Saxons, so that it looks as if the study of ethnology in the future would be very simple. Would it, though? Ethnology? The people with cultivation and leisure whose numbers increasing relatively to the population at each generation spend much more of their year in the country than formerly where they have large and well-cultivated country seats, parts of which are also preserved for game. This growing custom on the part of society, in addition to being of great advantage to the out-of-town districts, has done much to stave the forest and preserve some forms of game that would otherwise, like the buffalo, have become extinct. Man. And keep in mind, all of this stuff is in the beginning of a fictional space tale, like it goes on and the story's weird. Um, they go to Jupiter, they go to Saturn, they go to these other planets, but all of the things they say about these other planets is shit that Carl Sagan later comes out with and talks about. So stuff is all by design guys. It's incredible. Um, in astronomy, we've made a tremendous strides, old fashioned double convex lens and telescope, became heavier as it, as it grew. Recent telescopes have their four concave plate glass mirrors, 20 meters in diameter. 20 meters is huge. Our largest ones on Earth essentially right now are not even that large. So they had these back in the day. I've seen some, 
I wish I could find this picture that I've seen of this massive telescope in Paris. Huge, just huge. Like <laughs> the size of a football field or something. Massive. <clears throat> anyway, our recent telescopes have those, those type of lenses. Electrical field also plays an important part. The electricity being as great an aid to light as in the telescope, uh, and as in the telephone is to sound. So the, you know they're they're talking about other wavelengths that they pick up on. You know we see this in X-ray photography and infrared photography and so on. But they recognize it back then as all electricity, which it is. They've increased the number of visible visible stars. Telescopes have several hundred times the power of the largest lenses of the 19th century. <clears throat> Apparently, bring Mars and Jupiter when in opposition within 1,000 and 10,000 miles, respectively. Wait a minute, what? They bring Mars and Jupiter when in opposition within 1,000 and 10,000 miles? Are they really? They're telling us something here, guys. <laughs> they're so telling us something here. They're telling us that Mars and Jupiter are within one and 10,000 miles from Earth. While not telling us. And, you know, all the flat, round, whatever Earthers out there will, will argue about this. But the point of convergence when you're looking at the sun and the moon is, is uh, optically 550 miles. So, just saying. Go check out Vibes of Cosmos for more on that. Uh, so they can study the physical geography and topography. And now we have good maps of Jupiter and even Saturn. I don't know about that, guys. I really don't. Unless you call, you know, a photo a map, I guess. Incredible. Incredible, guys. Absolutely incredible. So, uh, huh. It's, it's amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. And it goes on and on about material progress and so on. Now they, uh, they get into some of the politics of the world in this next section. Um, probably not going to jump too hard into this, but you see why they would have done this to this person. You see why they would have needed to slap his name on the front of this uh <laughs> this newspaper right oh no john jacob astor the most appealing disaster appalling disaster in marine history strikes an iceberg at night i don't know about that guys i don't know about that oh incredible Incredible. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you guys are able to, to tune in and check this out. Um, you know, recommend it around. Let's get the uh, information out there so that people can make, you know, some, some educated decisions on what they want to believe. 1894, this was published, guys. 1894. Speculative fiction. Utopian fiction. The opposite, right, of dystopian fiction. Highly recommend looking at this. It's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, there's much more to it. There's much more to the way they set up the information, the way they set up the information on uh, 
on the planets and what we know about that. Um, you know, all these societies. I mean, dude, Ryan Dean digs into the society, uh, the secret society game super hard. And I can't wait to ask him about some of these older societies. Right? Incredible. Incredible. German Society of Pennsylvania. <laughs> I mean, you guys, it's absolutely mind-blowing so i will uh leave the link to this this incredibly interesting very long just mind-blowing book in the details here um it goes into explaining about the spaceship that they supposedly use which uses that anti-gravity method now think about this uh <laughs> if he uh Man, I, I'm just mind blown by this. It's like, wow, that's where all this information come from. That's that's where all these numbers came from. 1894, and he's got all the numbers that then NASA goes and uses later. So, so one of the the people in here is is named Deep Waters. <laughs> oh, geez. So. Oh, man. And it goes into some weird stuff, guys. And I know this is probably getting long. But again, you know, click out of this now and and go down to the the information I have in the notes and and jump over and read this yourself. It's incredible. <laughs> it's really incredible. Dr. Germany. <laughs> uh, with the knowledge of bacteriology, germs, Germany. Huh? money it's just it goes on it goes on and on poisons them leaving the earth supposedly oh man unbelievable stuff i can't wait for you guys to look into this i'm looking forward to seeing what some of you guys have to say about this because it is mind-blowing tales of these and were these tales of different times on the earth possibly goes into very large fungus dragons uh, spirits talking to angels and god and things so it goes from telling you the the here and now material stuff to digging into some of the secret teaching type stuff later on okay this is their, their ship. Looks just like that elevator, doesn't it? Or it looks like something that could be sitting on top of a building with a dome. Perhaps they got it powered up, being, you know, Antiquitech, and were able to shift into these other realities. Got our six planets there. Incredible stuff, guys. Absolutely mind-blowing. So I'll leave it at that uh, for you here today and uh, much love uh, recommend uh, red thread podcast to folks out there. We'll be digging into some more Masonic literature and uh, you know, inside kind of jokes as we move on, we'll dig into some more threads. Uh, but this came about due to the thread on uh, war in the air uh, that I had pulled up last night and talked to you guys about. So much love.
again, appreciate you. I will dig into the war in the air. I haven't read that through yet. Kind of got stuck on the uh, <laughs> the one that that we just went through. And uh, man, guys, I, I'm flabbergasted by this book. Um, just absolutely mind blown. I'm I'm almost speechless. Not really. I just sat here and talked for however long this was, probably close to an hour and a half or two hours. <laughs> and hopefully I didn't get too boring or, or you know, didn't digress too many times from this subject. Uh, it's, it's, it's fast, something like 500 pages. And we just skirted through the first probably 50. So that being said, uh, again, much love. And, you know, you all have wonderful love-filled uh, endeavors, whatever that may be. Uh, whatever your your prowess is, I hope you are successful and I extend nothing but, you know, the greatest uh, love and, and decency and uh, and beautiful thoughts and, and prayers for you all. Um, and uh, hopefully as we learn to understand a lot of this stuff, we will uh, create a more inclusive uh, understanding and not like, you know, LGBTQ, do-be-do-be-do uh, inclusivity. But like, like really, you know, link up with your friends, your loved ones, show this stuff to them. It's definitely food for thought. And, you know, hopefully this isn't quite as off-putting as the flat earth stuff, but it's got some of that, that programming ingrained, uh, embedded in it, you know, all the, the numerology, <laughs> the numerology with, uh, man, oh, here it is. And we have a supply of blue glass. Here we go. On some future expeditions, when we have a supply of blue glasses, we can take a trip to Venus. Why would you need blue glasses to take a trip to Venus? Mind blown, guys. Mind blown. Oh, anyway, it's about 11 a.m. in London, and we got to go. But um, yeah, thanks for tuning in, and uh, have a great rest of uh, whatever it is you're having. Peace.